Let's pray, church. God, it is here and now with your presence among us that we just come before you going, that's what we need above all things. We just need you. We need you to break through our, our sinfulness. We need you to break through our shallowness. We need you to break through to us, God, that the eternal God, that, that we, would, we would know you. And so we proclaim this truth, God, that you are the way and the truth and the life, God. Christ, and we recognize that no one can come through the Father but through you. And so in Jesus' name, we gather here, and we just want to meet with you, Abba Father. Pray that your truth would shape us, that you would mold us in the way we ought to go, as the psalmist would say, Father, and that we would live the life that you would have us, God. And we just give ourselves to you to that end. Uh, yeah. We thank you that you, you tell us we can bring our, our doubts and our failures here, that you don't shame us away because of those, God. Uh, but God, in your, in your grace and your mercy, we pray you show up and you just, you wipe those away. We would leave this place in love with you uh, to a higher degree than we entered in, God. And uh, we just are asking that in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Be seated, church. Good morning. Glad to see all of you this morning. Uh, show of hands. How many of you are visual learners? Visual learners in the room? Yeah, I'm one of you. Like, you can tell me to do something all you want. I will learn much faster if you just show me, right? That's probably why I had to make lots of mistakes in my life, right? <laughs> learn by stubbing my toe. It's a lot easier. That's why I think YouTube is genius, right? YouTube can make a mechanic out of all of us, right? Uh, I had to change the headlights on my pickup truck this week, and instead of calling somebody that knew what they did, I just YouTubed it, right? And suddenly I became a mechanic. It, it, is, it is helpful to have a visual there that we can take knowledge and see it applied in a real-life situation. It, we, we learn better that way. That's part of the power of narrative in Scripture, and why Scripture is a mixture of theology and narrative both together, because we get to see what, what we learn. So, for instance, in, in Galatians right now, in our growth groups, we are studying a letter, and it is teaching some huge theology about the gospel. But then we're going to study this morning a narrative, a story, and we can see what it looks like when what we know to be true about the gospel is applied into a life, and we can begin to learn so much more. So narratives can, for those of us that are visual learners, we get this word picture that we can understand it. For the next two weeks, we get two characters that we are meant to hold up side by side in the book of Acts to study about what it looks like to receive the gospel. This week we get Simon the sorcerer. Next week we get the Ethiopian eunuch. Both of them happen side by side and we see two pictures of people that have received the gospel. One who receives it wrongly and one who receives it rightly. And we're meant to learn. These guys have a lot in common with each other. We'll look at that next week. That they're both men of power. They're men of prestige. They're men of renown. Uh, they both hear the gospel. They're both baptized. But that's about where it ends. That after that, they also both go on and, according to church history, create major movements when, with what they do to the, with the gospel as they, they run with it. But one does it wrongly, one does it rightly. And they're meant to be two stories to help us understand by example of what does it look like to truly receive the gospel, receive salvation uh, into our lives. And so this morning we will pick up where we left off last week, Acts chapter 8. If you would, turn with me. There are Bibles in the chair in front of you. If you'll grab one of those Bibles and, and turn with me, Acts chapter 8. 
uh, we'll pick off. If you don't have a, a Bible, we uh, would love for you to take that one home. That's our, our gift to you this morning. We, we've been studying the book of Acts, seeing how God is moving and the gospel is spreading in the first church and beyond. We saw last week for the first time the gospel jumps the bounds of Judaism, and now it hit into Samaria. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. Verse 18, we'll read through verse 25 together. Let's read. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money? You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Oh, Simon, Simon, Simon. Little character, Simon the sorcerer he's called. Who is this guy? We're meant to hold him up as an example to see, to, to learn from him. Who is him? Well, we're introduced to him in verse 9. So if your Bible's still open, you go back up. We read this last week, verse 9 and 10. Now for some time there was a man named Simon who had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. So evidently Simon is a, is a well-known figure in Samaria. He, he practices some kind of magic. We don't know what that is. He's some kind of source. He's convinced people and evidently he's given himself his own nickname, which is always a no-no, right? He boasts that he is someone great and the Samaritans are in agreement. Yeah, this man is rightly called the great power of God. So evidently he gave himself the nickname, the great power of God, right? Magicians are prone to do that, right? Like, look at Houdini, the great power, right? So this is Simon. And, and, and he has gained notoriety. He's popular. People are following him. They're amazed by his power. But then Philip shows up. And Philip, in the name of Jesus Christ, starts healing people and casting out demons. And suddenly, Simon, the quote-unquote great power of God, is confronted with the true power of God. And he's blown away. And it says that, that if we remember last week, that, that Samaritans turned from Simon and turned to Jesus. And it says that they believed in him and were baptized into his name. And Simon himself did that. Look at verse 13. Simon himself believed and was baptized. Wow. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. So even, even Simon's like, yeah, that's real power. Good night. So he's baptized into, into Jesus as well. And then we fast forward to today's text. And if you remember, we left off last week that Peter and John come from Jerusalem. They see the Samaritans don't have the Holy Spirit. If you're confused by that, listen to last week. He, they, they pray over them. They receive the Holy Spirit. And Simon sees that. And he's like, wow, I'd like to have that gift. That guy shows up and he prays on people and the Holy Spirit comes on. So he's like, hey, Peter, psst, how much money you want for that? 
like buying a magic trick at the magic shop. How much is that going to cost me? That really got people to follow you guys. And Peter, being the sweet man he is, just, you know, responds very kindly to Simon and lets him down very gently. No, look at Peter's response to him. Verse 20. May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money? You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Sheesh. (laughs) And so it says that that Simon gave this feeble little, hey, pray for me that none of that happens because that sounds scary. And then he leaves. And according to scripture, we never see Simon in the Bible again. However, early church fathers writing in the late 90s, early 100s of church history write that this guy, Simon Magus, goes on to be what they call the father of one of the most dangerous early heresies in the church. He becomes what they call the father of Gnosticism which is a big, big no-no in the early church. It, it, it led a lot of people astray away from the truth of Jesus Christ. And Simon is credited as being the father of Gnosticism. We know in Samaria there was a whole sect, a cult of people called Simonians, named after Simon. So this guy goes on and uses the gospel to start one of the very first cults, right? And that's been repeated over and over again, centered around a, a, a human figure here, and where he tells people, according to the theology of the Simonians, that Simon is the great power of God. How in the world did he get there when he started at belief and baptism in Jesus' name? Are you questioning that? I am. Because he saw real power. He, he saw it. He saw people being healed. And evidently he believed in, 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 in the resurrection of, of Jesus because he's baptized into Jesus' name to symbolize that. And he saw the Holy Spirit come down on people. He, he, was, he was confronted by all that. He believed he himself was baptized. And yet, and yet, as Peter tells him in verse 21, you have no share in this ministry. Because your right heart is not right before God. So evidently, yes, he received the gospel. Yes, he believed. Yes, he was baptized. But evidently, there's a wrong way to receive the gospel. There's a wrong way to receive it. That actually doesn't lead to salvation. That actually makes it to where his, right, his heart is not right before God. What is that? That shouldn't surprise us, by the way. Jesus said there would be. Do you remember the, the parable of the soils? Do you remember that? Jesus said, hey, Matthew 13, said the kingdom of God is like a farmer who goes out and he's sowing seed and the seed is the gospel. And, and some seed will land on, on hard soil uh, that, that, that never takes root. And the birds come down and they eat the seed before it could ever take root. Some, some seed will land in shallow soil that's rocky. And it, oh, it'll grow a plant for a little bit, but it never takes down deep root because of its shallowness. And when the sun comes up, it, it burns it and it dies away. And, and some will fall amongst the thorns and, and oh, it grows for a little bit too but then the the thorns come up and they choke it off and it dies away but there will be a some that fall on good soil and it will grow and put down deep roots and produce a a harvest 10 50 100 times that which was planted right so evidently there's a way jesus teaches that you actually receive the gospel but it dies off he says oh there's some that it's never gonna their hearts are hardened it's never gonna it's never gonna take root we shouldn't be shocked by that Oh, but there's others that are just shallow. 
They never let the gospel go down deep into them. They want it for shallow reasons. And when push comes to shove, it, it burns off. Others are so distracted by, Jesus says, the worries of the world, the endeavors of the world, that it chokes off their faith and they die out. So evidently, there's, there's a way to receive the gospel that does not lead to salvation. And Simon is meant to be held up for us this morning as an example of what that looks like. Now, I know what you're saying. You're saying, Shelton, I have no intention of taking the gospel and starting a cult. At least I hope that's what you're saying. <laughs> and so there might be a tendency right now to check off going, oh, that, that example doesn't apply to me. Hold on. That's what, how he ran with it. That might not be how you run with it, but I still think Simon's example is one that we can learn a lot from. How is it? What happens what, that he receives the gospel in a wrong way? Well, I think Peter's response is the answer and the understanding of that. Peter looks at him and he says, your heart is not right before God. Never mind that you believed in Jesus. Never mind that you were baptized, but your heart's not right before God. Because look at verse 23. I see that you are full of bitterness and you are captive to sin. So, so Peter looks in there and goes, man, you're, you're not right before God. I know I baptized you. I know you were there, but you're not right before God. I can see in you, you're still full of angerness towards other people. There's not a, a, a Christ-like love towards other people. There's bitterness in you and, 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 and selfishness. And I see that you're still captive to sin. And so what's the antidote? He, he tells them, verse 22, repent of this wickedness. So evidently, what Simon had was belief without repentance. Belief without repentance which does not lead to salvation. It's only a mental exercise. Good, you believe that Jesus is king? Great. Step one. You believe he died on the cross for sins? Great. You believe he resurrected? Great. You believe he's the Messiah? Great. You believe he's creator? Great. Great, 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 great. Does that belief lead to repentance? Does it, does it lead to, to that, that application to your very soul? So let me, let me give an example. Like if, if, let's say, hypothetically, there was a virus spreading really fast um, and people are dying from it and somebody shows up and a hospital shows up and says, we have an antidote. And you go, yes, because you have the virus. And you say, thank you. The antidote is here. And you show up to the hospital with all the other people that are there to receive the antidote. And you put on the hospital gown like everybody else. And, and, and you sign the paperwork. And they give you the hospital thing, the, the, the little wristband, and let them know that, that you're here to receive it. I mean, you, you go through all the paperwork, the process, insurance is on board. You're good. You're there. And then you watch as they go down the row. And they're giving an IV of the antidote to everybody, 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 everybody. And it comes to you. And you go, oh, no, I don't like needles. And so they never give you the antidote. Are you still ill? Now, wait a second. You have the hospital gown on. You're at the hospital. You sign the paperwork. You even believe that, that, that the antidote is real. And it does cure the, poison, the, the disease. You, you believe everything about it. Why are you still ill? Because it was never applied to you. Listen to me. Repentance is the place where the grace of God through Jesus Christ, is applied to you. It's there. And until repentance is there, 
All it is is beliefism. And it doesn't matter how strong you believe that it's true. It's repentance where it's applied to your own soul. Which ought to beg the question, what is repentance, (laughs) right? Like if that's where that gets down in me. And and that's where I want to camp out this morning on Peter saying, repent. Repent. Because I, I have this fear that we have a low, reduced down understanding of what repentance is. So let's, let's talk to it. Repentance, by the way, first of all, is more than saying you're sorry. Repentance is more than just saying I'm sorry. Right? The actual Greek word that, uh, that is used there for repentance comes from two words that mean from this point on, change. That's what, that's what that word means. From this point on, change. And so we try to reduce that down and to say, I'm sorry. And look, I've, I said I'm sorry. That's repentance. No, it's not. Parents in the room, you know that. Let's say hypothetically there was a dad with three kids. <laughs> and he walked into the playroom and there are toys everywhere. And they're not there. And they didn't put up their toys, hypothetically, um, after playing with them. So this, this pretend dad calls his three kids into the room and says, it's, you, you got to put up your toys after you play with them. It's not okay to leave them out. All, all of, and they all go, sorry, dad. I'm sorry. All right, great. I'm good. I'm glad you're sorry. I like contriteness. Contriteness is good. Now pick up your toys. Okay, dad, yeah, we'll do that. So we pick up their toys. Is that repentance? Now. Let's say, uh, hypothetically, a week later, the same pretend dad (laughs) walks into the same pretend playroom and the toys are everywhere. And the kids, three hypothetical kids, (laughs) are outside playing. And that pretend dad calls them back in and says, I thought you said you were sorry. Oh, we are sorry. Then why are everything not put away? Oh, well, we'll fix that, dad. We'll do that again. And they put them away and... Now, let's say a week later, and a week later, and a week later, and pretty soon, sorry doesn't have very much meaning to it, does it? Why? Because it's not the sorry I'm after. It's the changed behavior. Excuse me, pretend dad is after. It's the changed behavior, right? Like, sorry is good. Sorry shows contriteness, right? Telling God, I'm sorry for the sin. That's great. We should have a contrite spirit. Scripture says so. That's good, but that's not repentance. Repentance is from this point on change. Now, hear me. What needs to change for it to be real repentance? And this is where we go a step deeper. So it's more than contriteness. It's change, but it's not just changed behaviors. It's more than that. Because Christianity, Christianity is not about behavior modification. It's heart modification. And so if we hear, God doesn't like when I do blank, I need to repent from blank. That is true. But that, that doesn't mean try really hard just to not do that thing anymore. Because our, our sinful behaviors are symptoms of a sinful heart. And you can try behavior modification all you want without dealing with the sinful heart at the core of all of that. Don't change the heart and try all you want and the changes won't happen either. 
So repentance is more than contriteness, and it's more than just behavior modification. It's getting down to the heart of what sin is. And that's what needs to change. So what needs to change in your heart? Because notice, that's where Paul, Peter, Peter goes after him. He says, you had this evil thought in your heart. So, so, so what is it? What is it? Well, to understand that, we have to understand what sin really is. The core of what sin really is. Do you remember when the first sin came into, into the world? Eve, right? Eve is having a conversation with the serpent. Do you remember what the serpent told her? Genesis chapter 3, verse 5. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like... Okay, that was your spot. You jump in there. Here we go. <laughs> and you will be like... So the temptation was, you'll be like God. You, you'll be like, and she saw that that was desirous and looked good, so she ate it. So what does it mean to be God? You ever thought about that? Let's say you created everything, and you possess in you the ability to speak all of the universe into being. Boom. And you are filled with all the goodness and love. You invented goodness and love and joy and peace. It is all an expression of you. You are God, God. Nothing evil in you whatsoever. All good, all pure. You are God, God. Right? And then you look down and say, I'm going to create mankind in my image so that they can share in me being God, God. And I make them and boom. And I make the world and I put them in the... What does it mean then of what you're expecting as being God? What what are the rights that you get? Oh, we as humans love to complain about our rights. What are the rights I have? What are God's rights? He created everything. What what, what is he expecting? Well, if you're God, let's, let's look at this list. Being God, right? You created everything. To be God means that your agenda, your will is done, right? I speak and worlds show up. So I speak and you do that. All right, your desires are carried out because you're God and all your desires are good and holy. All your ways are right and pure. So your desires are carried out. And the things that make you happy, people run after because your happiness brings happiness to all the universe. All right, and, and your glory and fame is what it's at because it brings light to all the universe and the demons run and hide because you're God, God. You following Now, at the moment the serpent says to Eve, you can be like God. It wasn't about the apple. It was that Eve decided in that moment, I want to play that role. And she said, God, I want what looks desirous to me. And she took And she ate. And that is the replay of all of our hearts, of all of humanity from that moment on. Where we say, I will be God, God. And the gospel is that when we sit down in this chair, that we say, it's about my agendas. And it's about my happiness. And it's about my notoriety. And it's about my desires. When we sit down, we become chained to this throne. We can't undo ourselves away from this. That now, God goes, okay, 
I warned you, I'm God, God. And it turns out we're really bad at being God. We're really, we don't have the power. We don't have the wisdom. We don't have the goodness. We don't know what's even going to happen in a minute from now, much less millennia from now. It turns out humans stink at being God. And yet we insist on it. And all of the world is in the mess that it's in. Turn on the news. It is in the condition it's in. Your and our heartache is there. Our family's heartache is there. Heartache exists because we're bad at being God. But we're stuck to the chains of sin that hold us there. And the gospel is the story of how Jesus came and broke the power of sin. Right? The chains are undone. So that... Not that I can still sit in the chair. The chains are undone so that in the power of Christ, I may get up in repentance and say, God, you take the throne. It was yours to begin with. I'm a bad God. You're a good God. What does that look like? It literally looks like this. It's switching from from my agenda to God's agenda. It's switching from my desires to to what does God desire of life? It's switched from running after what makes me happy and what I think will make me happy to saying, God, what makes your heart happy? How can I run after that? It's switching from running after my notoriety, my fame, to running after the glory of God and his notoriety and his fame. That's repentance. That's the change from this moment on change. I repent of my heart. I get off the throne. And if you look at what Simon does... Oh, he believes. Oh, yeah, God, you are powerful. I saw you heal people. Oh, and you rose from the dead? That's really, you're really, you're like super powerful. And oh, man, Peter can lay hands and your power comes on people? Oh, man, I can use this. And he tries to reduce God, God, down into servant God. And anything that tries to reduce the creator of all into serving us is idolatry. Now, you and I never do that. We never go, God, if you will just fetch me, please, what will make me happy? God, I really want this to happen. If you will just make a line all the ducks in a row so that what I want to happen, you'll make happen. Come on, fetch Jesus. God, my agenda in this world, and I think it's a pretty good agenda. Like, I agree with everything in this agenda. My politics line up with it, everything. Like, I feel really good about my agenda. God, if you'll just make my agenda happen. And it turns out the creator of all is not meant to be our fetcher. In fact, The whole point of the gospel is that he could get you everything you want and you'll still be broken because you're a bad God and I'm a bad God. And so he frees us and says, hey, let me sit in that place. I created joy and I created peace and I created all that is good in this world and this universe. Let me take my place in your heart. And there is that little voice that whispers to us like I think it did to Eve. That goes, man, I can't, you can't, God, look, God doesn't want you to be happy. Live for God's happiness? God wants you to be like a miserable little servant, a slave to God, a robot. You don't get to do anything fun from now on. And that's the temptation. 
That's what led Eve going, yeah, I'm missing out. You're right, serpent. God is trying to hold out on me. Do you know what that's like? I was talking to somebody after the first service, and, and he threw out this analogy, and I rather like it. That's like Ellie telling me, Dad, I really want to drive your car. Oh, is that going to make you happy, baby? Here's my keys. Go have at it. And when she's crashed in a ditch somewhere, you still happy? Was that fun? Is the hospital bill fun? Is it? Yeah, we're bad at being God, yet we're convinced that, hey, I know it's going to make me happy. Or maybe not. Jesus says, I came to give you life and give it to its fullest. And yet you will have life when you die to yourself and start living for the glory of God. And that's the challenge of the gospel. That it's no longer about me. It's not about my agendas. It's not about my, my desires. It's about what God desires. So here's the question this morning that we all need to be asking ourselves. While you may not be wanting to take the gospel and run and create a cult and a heresy, my bet is every single one of us in this room are tempted with the sin of Simon. That says, yes, God, I believe in you. Yes, you are powerful. Yes, you are good. But I'd like to stay on the throne. Thank you very much. And so repentance that leads to salvation is a removal by the grace and power of God, of the God who is so bad at his job. And it's the sitting down of the new king in your soul. So are you living for God's glory? Is your prayer life more about what you desire or about what God desires of you? Because this is how Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name, not mine. Your kingdom come, not mine. And your desires, your will, your agendas be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And I trust you, God, that along the way, you're going to provide my my needs, my daily bread. And you're going to keep me away from temptations. And you're going to empower me to forgive those that, that hurt me. Because ultimately, God, to you be all glory and power forever and ever. Let's pray. God, in confession, we we all just come together and admit that we get this wrong far too often. And yet, God, in your loving kindness, you knew that. And your mercies are new every morning. And the invitation to remove ourselves from the throne are new every morning. And your loving kindness is calling us to that place of repentance and change. God, for the hearts that are here, mine included. God, for our hearts and where we try to reduce you down into our servant. God, we just repent and apologize. We are contrite now through your spirit and your, your power, God. Guide us into that life that is all about you. Give us that trust that when we seek first your kingdom, you'll take care of us. 
You, you know the, the birds of the field and, and where they need to, to sleep. You'll know our needs. You, you, you'll take care of us. Help us to, to seek first your causes. And God, God when, when we struggled thinking that our desires will lead to our happiness, meet us there in that place that we might apply the gospel down to that foolish tempter, God, that you would fight him away. That we'd say, no, it is about your glory and your desires in our life, God. We want to be your people. And we are powerless to do so unless it is of your spirit. And so we come to you thankful for the grace that you give us in Jesus Christ. Now may you be glorified amongst us. We give ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.